This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with bombshell allegations about the behavior that led to two senior officials being escorted out of the provincial legislature. Speaker Daryl Plekis presenting a 76-page report that includes outrageous examples of alleged overspending approved by Clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz. Some examples, hiring a limo and driver in Scotland to take them from Edinburgh to St. Andrew's Golf Course to shop at the gift shop. On that same UK trip, Plekis alleges Lenz bought gifts for his wife, including a brooch and a scarf, and then expensed the items. $1,000 business suits were expensed as uniforms. And Craig James is alleged to have tried to bring in a retirement allowance for legislative executives with more than 10 years of service. His payout would have amounted to $300,000. Richard Zussman has more on the scandalous allegations. The allegations are explosive. Stolen alcohol, flagrant overspending, inappropriate personal benefits, potentially in the millions of dollars. All directed towards the Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz and Clerk Craig James. The allegations are unproven, but backed up by Speaker Daryl Plekis. Before the holidays, as you know, I publicly committed to report at this meeting on what caused me concern about the two officers who've been placed on administrative leave and to make recommendations about how to move forward. Today, I have fulfilled that commitment. It is all part of a 76-page report Plekis put together. Here are some of the allegations. James and Lenz inappropriately took family and friends on trips paid for by the taxpayer. James took a wood chipper from the legislature for personal use. The pair took inappropriate payouts in cash in lieu of vacation. And there was no oversight in awarding employment benefits potentially in the millions of dollars. Really questionable benefits where I think not a, a person in this room or a person in this province would look and say that's okay. The report also includes amounts associated with some of the allegations. This includes allegations that James inappropriately took more than $10,000 in liquor loaded in the back of his pickup truck, that the pair expensed $1,100 suits, and that James footed the taxpayer with an $1,100 piece of luggage. Every single item in this report is not speculation, it's not made up, it's not opinion, it is fact. And it is backed up by uh, documents, receipts, letters. The report also alleges concerns around managing employees, including potentially unjustified termination. Uh, Plekis alleges up to 17 people have quit their jobs or been fired because they asked questions about the expenses. The first day the speaker became the speaker, he thought, well, there's something just sort of quite not right here. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. 
right, let's get deeper into this with our own uh, Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry. Keith, what else jumped out at you in this report? Oh, where to start? I mean, this report's a doozy by Daryl Plekis. All sorts of allegations uh, and uh, damning information, explosive ones as well. Uh, basically paints a picture of entitlement and living high on the hog on the public dime. Uh, more on the response from the two individuals in a moment. First of all, I want to pull one quote out from Daryl Plekis, which I think captures part of what he's talking about. He says that throughout the trip, he's referring to his first trip to Scotland, throughout the trip, I was surprised at how luxuriously we were traveling and how little work we were doing for a work trip. And that is a theme that's repeated throughout the report when he goes on a number of trips, which he says was characterized by luxurious living and not doing a lot of work. We caught up to Mike Farnworth, who's on that Lamsey committee that released the report today for his reaction. But what I saw, um, the, uh, the documents and the, the documented uh, uh, evidence uh, in that report, um, was, uh, you know, if it's not criminal, it's uh, certainly uh, unacceptable. So now, in terms of what Mr. James, Mr. Lenz had to say, I talked to Craig James on the phone a short time ago. He denies all. He, sa he says they're totally innocent, refutes the allegations that Daryl Plekis is making. But they also released a statement, both he and Gary Lenz did, just a little less than an hour ago, in which they both say to be publicly accused of these things after months of secret investigation without being given any chance to respond is contrary to all principles of fairness and decent treatment. It is contrary to how our public institutions should treat people. It is contrary to how the Speaker of the Legislature should act. So, Sophie, again, in their statement, they make it clear that uh, they regard these allegations as, as basically untrue and unfactual, and they're going to be responding mm -hmm. more at a later date. Yeah, so they'll respond more at a later date. What happens next with this report and moving forward with the investigation? Yeah, well, first of all, a reminder, there is a police investigation overseen by two special prosecutors. We're not clear whether the information in this report is part of the police investigation. Also, the MLAs today on that Legislative Assembly Management Committee voted to ask or request an auditor, probably from someone else's Auditor General's office in another province, to come out here, come into the legislature, and do a forensic audit of the Speaker's office, the Clerk's office, and the Sergeant-at-Arms office. And I wouldn't be surprised, again, if we see some lawsuits flying back and forth. This thing, really, in many respects, is just getting going. All right. Thanks for that. Keith Baldry reporting tonight. Also tonight in a bizarre twist, North Vancouver RCMP say a little girl who died nearly five years ago was poisoned by snake venom. They've just announced an arrest in the case and other details of what was a very lengthy investigation. Tanya Beja joins us now live with more of the details. And Tanya, it's still unclear exactly how the child ingested the venom. That's right, Chris. What we know is that a two-year-old girl died as a result of poisoning by snake venom. We don't know if the snake bit her or if she was poisoned some other way. Court documents and an obituary identify the child as Aleka Gonzalez. According to police, she was in the care of 51-year-old Henry Thomas of Seabird Island back on May 18, 2014. Thomas allegedly returned Gonzalez to her mother in North Vancouver early the next morning. Her mother called RCMP to report that the child had died. Here's what police say happened in the months that followed. In July 2015, a search warrant was executed at the Thomas residence in Agassiz, where snakes and related equipment were seized. Further biological DNA testing was conducted throughout 2016 and 2017. Testing confirmed that snake venom was the cause of death of the two-year-old infant. 
Thomas has been charged with failing to provide the necessaries of life. He is set to appear in North Vancouver court on January 28th. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, Tanya, thank you. Well, the man responsible for the death of RCMP Constable Sarah Beckett has been granted parole. Kenneth Fenton has been allowed limited day parole so he can attend alcohol abuse treatment. He's serving a five-and-a-half-year sentence for the drunk driving crash that killed the young Vancouver Island officer. Fenton will attend a two-month treatment program in the Fraser Valley before the parole board will decide if he will be given more freedom. It just disgusted with the entire process. You can't... For getting four years for killing someone is not right. No one was there to be a voice for Sarah today at all. And I think that Fenton got off really easy today seeing how Sarah didn't have a voice and he did. I've been to every court appearance as a voice for that, but I wasn't notified for this. And I promised Sarah that I would be here for her. And just, this is disheartening that I wasn't there to be her voice today. It's an unprecedented call, B.C.'s biggest public sector union demanding an inquiry into money laundering, real estate, the opioid crisis, and organized crime. The B.C.G.E.U. says the government needs to provide answers and accountability as to how those factors all came together, claiming thousands of lives and making B.C. such an unaffordable place to live. John Waugh has the details. Well, when the B.C. government's own employees union not only sends a letter to the attorney general in December, but is now launching a campaign demanding a public inquiry into money laundering and its devastating links to the housing affordability and fentanyl crisis. The question to Minister Eby is, what else is it going to take? From workers on the casino floor to ministry staffers in Victoria. The message from their union, the public deserves better on the money laundering crisis in B.C. Where is the accountability? But more importantly, what are the solutions? How do we fix the problems in our system that allowed this to happen in the first place? The B.C. Government and Service Employees Union backing calls for stronger action against a system that's allowed billions of dollars in dirty cash to be laundered in this province. A failed criminal case and commissioned reports. Not enough. Clearly we need a different route and we believe that the public inquiry with a mandate, well resourced, is the way to do that. I totally understand that need for public accountability. Uh, our interest in the immediate term has been to stop the activity that's taking place. Sources within the BC NDP government say behind the scenes the Attorney General David Eby and Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth are leaning toward a public inquiry. Premier John Horgan also open to an inquiry but worried about the cost and effectiveness. But his chief of staff, former Vancouver Councillor Jeff Meggs, folding on the idea, preferring the status quo. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone is equally outraged that British Columbia has been used in this way by organized crime. Uh, we all want the best solution uh, for British Columbia. Global News has reached out to Megs for comment, but so far, no response. Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West says this is no time for internal politics. There is something far greater at stake here, and the public have a right to answers on this, and I believe that we are getting close to being able to get them. Now, even though the tides seem to be changing, the general sense is that a public inquiry will not happen until Peter German releases his second report into money laundering in the housing market, racetracks, and luxury items. John Hua, Global News. Four in ten British Columbians are only $200 away from financial ruin, at least according to MNP's Consumer Debt Index. With more people going further into debt and uncertainty about rising interest rates, Sarah McDonald has details on 
how close many of us are to insolvency. If you struggle with debt or live on the brink of it, you're part of a growing demographic right across the country, with more and more Canadians inching increasingly closer to being in the red. Well, it definitely doesn't surprise me. You know, just the cost of living in general. I mean, it, uh, it's not a shock at all, really. That's according to a new nationwide study conducted by insolvency firm MNP, which pulled Canadians in each province on their spending habits and uncovered some startling statistics, in BC especially. It is a low threshold. Even rental costs are high out here. So even if you're not servicing a mortgage, just paying your monthly rent is, is a big number in BC. 58% of those polled in this province say they're concerned of the impact of rising interest rates on their debt load, with half of all respondents worried even a small increase could put them in financial jeopardy. More than 40% teetering dangerously close to financial insolvency, sitting within just a couple hundred dollars of it by the end of each month. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, being in Vancouver, it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. So, And we're not alone here on the West Coast. Less than 40% of respondents nationwide say they'd be prepared to to deal with a major financial curveball that includes a change in relationship status, a sudden illness, or unemployment. I've been stuck where I've had, I thought, really secure job, and then right before you know it, you're not working. But even in predictable circumstances, still many of us are struggling, with more than a quarter of British Columbians polled unable to cover both their bills and their debt. Four in ten bracing to take on even more of it this year for basic living expenses, while acknowledging a spike in interest rates could push them over the edge of bankruptcy. If you're paying more to service your debt, then it just shrinks your monthly budget. Compounding an already dire and apparently increasingly common predicament as the cost of carrying debt climbs. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Two young women from Surrey were badly hurt in an early morning crash in Richmond. It happened on number six road between Blundell and Westminster Highway. The victim's Honda sedan hit a pole and then flipped into a nearby ditch. The 21-year-old driver has critical injuries while her 22-year-old passenger sustained serious but non-life-threatening injuries. Alcohol and speed are both being investigated as potential factors in the crash. Our Global One helicopter spotted the all-out effort to save a Port Coquitlam home from fire. Flames broke out at a home in the 1100 block of Fraserview Street around 9 this morning. Crews are seen attacking the fire from the crane and on the ground. Crews say the fire started in the basement and the flames spread from there. Geographically, it's a difficult lot. It's built on a real slope and a slant and it's got fences that are quite close to other houses in the back. We actually had to take out a lot of fencing between the houses just to be able to have some mobility to move around the place. So yeah, it was difficult. And while we enjoy mild weather on the south coast, the rest of Canada is in a deep freeze which has already claimed one life. The body of a 93-year-old woman was discovered in the snow Sunday outside a Montreal senior's residence. She was identified today as the mother of Gilles Duceppe, the former leader of the Bloc Québécois. Officials say she left the building when a fire alarm went off and got locked out of the building during a brutal snowstorm. That storm, just one front in a big blast of winter weather, bringing freezing temperatures to much of the country. Jennifer Palmer reports. 
deep freeze out east. In Montreal, the big dig was underway after an intense and cold snowstorm encased vehicles and made sidewalks and roads hard to navigate. Honestly, you can skip the gym today because I swear to God, this is an arm day in itself. Frozen walkways in Toronto. With the wind chill, it felt like it was colder than minus 30 at times. Sending outreach workers into the streets to make sure everyone was safe as extreme cold weather alerts were issued by the city. Others bundled up and unable to speak, it's so cold. You warm enough there, buddy? <sighs> from Ontario to the Maritimes, factor in the wind chill and it feels anywhere from minus 30 to minus 50. So frigid, everyone is coming up with their own way to stay warm. Just keep on moving, man, pace back and forth. I make sure that you know, on a day like today that almost every square inch of my body is covered. So this is the attire, as dorky as... Uh, you know, this is all it is. But when Mother Nature throws Canadians a wild winter storm, some come up with unique ways to get out, no matter what their challenge. In Moncton, New Brunswick, Guy Calmaison hooking up his snowblower to his wheelchair. In St. John, New Brunswick, freezing temperatures made roads ice rinks. A good way to stay warm, a cup of joe from the local Tim Hortons. But the only way to get there for Corey Hamilton skate up to the drive-thru. I've played hockey the whole I've never been able to skate up the streets and down, so it's a little bit bumpy, a little chippy, but it's fine. Back on our coast, a major difference. Sun and light jackets to keep the chill at bay. Quite sunny and nice to be outside and not have to shovel any snow. Oh, I used to live in Ontario. Yeah, I, uh, I don't envy them. Many Easterners hoping for warmer weather and counting down to March 20th, the first day of spring. Jennifer Palma, Global News. All right, with a closer look at those frigid temperatures and how long they'll be sticking around, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy. So if we really have nothing to complain about, do we? Look at some of the numbers that I found today. The coldest up in Nunavut at minus 56 with the wind chill. This is a skin freezing temperature within seconds, really. And uh, Manitoba, northern Manitoba, minus 37 with the wind chill. Quebec, minus 39 and minus 35 being the coldest in Ontario. Now, we are going to see conditions lighten up uh, through tomorrow and into our Wednesday. So a little bit milder across the region, but it won't last long. As I head into the latter part of the week, and the weekend, they've got another pool of cold air that's going to shift down across the region. Meanwhile, further west, yes, a big ridge is set to rebuild. So we have some rain in the forecast, but it's looking good in the long range. A warning tonight about door-to-door -door sales targeting lower mainland homeowners, especially unsuspecting seniors. Yeah, some salespeople are using questionable tactics to lock consumers into contracts that are very hard to break and could end up costing thousands of dollars. So with more, let's bring in our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea Ann. Yeah, unfortunately, this is an issue that continues and is expected to ramp up as we approach springtime. Thanks, you too. Last year, Ontario banned unsolicited door-to-door -door sales for most heating, air, and water services. But reputable companies here in B.C. say that's pushing the problem out west. He told you it was a government agency? Yes. He says he's working with the government. And right then, moments after knocking on his door in Maple Ridge, Sandy Callan invited in an individual claiming to represent BC Environmental Home Services to inspect his furnace. Sandy says the person claimed to be affiliated with the BC government. Within minutes of that inspection, Sandy says he and his partner Debbie Shepard were told their furnace was illegal and their home a fire risk. The couple was then offered a contract to lease and eventually own a new furnace. We were to pay $99 a month for five, for years. five years, and it would be, we would own the, first, the furnace, our and our payments would stop after five years. 
They signed the contract, but after a closer look at the paperwork, they made a troubling discovery. There's no end date. This doesn't say anything that in five years you're going to own the furnace. Which means Debbie and Sandy would have been on the hook for far more than the furnace was worth. The contract stated they could cancel the agreement within 10 days of signing it. Debbie phoned immediately. They didn't have my contract in front of them and they don't know when my end date was. The couple put a stop payment on their bank account. Chris Dick from Tech Climate Control heard about Sandy and Debbie's case and wanted to help. Eventually, he was able to get the furnace from BC Environmental Home Services removed and replaced with a new one from Tech free of charge. Any reputable uh, heating air conditioning company is not going to come knocking on your door. That sentiment echoed by Fortis, BC. Fortis BC will not go door to door selling any natural gas appliances or asking to see your furnace. The only time Fortis BC goes door to door is if there's a gas disruption. We reached out to BC Environmental Home Services, the company telling us that unfortunately this customer was indeed told false information in order to sign up for the furnace contract and it does not engage in high pressure sales tactics and that the sales representative who signed up Sandy and Debbie has since been terminated. The company also states due to the nature of direct selling, it is impossible for us to supervise every single customer interaction. But Consumer Protection BC, which applies consumer protection laws in BC, confirms it has received complaints about BC Environmental Home Services and currently has an open investigation into their business practices. As for Sandy and Debbie, they say they'll be more cautious the next time someone comes knocking on their door. Anybody comes to the door and tries to sell me anything nowadays, I'll tell them to hit the road. <laughs> And we reached out to the province on this issue. BC's Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General says, while changes to door-to-door sales are not something that are currently underway, the province is researching what other jurisdictions like Ontario are doing. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. This is the moment in America where we don't just celebrate King's holiday. We recommit ourselves to be the agents of change. Our American neighbors honoring Martin Luther King Jr. today. Democratic Senator Cory Booker speaking at an event in South Carolina. He was joined by fellow Democrat Bernie Sanders. Both expected to make a run for the White House in 2020. President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence visited the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial today in Washington, D.C. It was 56 years ago that Dr. King delivered his I Have a Dream speech. Both presidential hopefuls reiterating his words resonate now more than ever. Well, new developments today provide more context for that viral video of a standoff between a Native American elder and high schoolers wearing MAGA hats. Widely criticized for what many see as racist actions, a longer video shows the students were first targeted and insulted by another group. Ron Allen has the latest. This face-to-face confrontation igniting charges of racism. Kentucky high school students accused of mocking Native American elder Nathan Phillips, who claims his drumming was a gesture of peace. I scared. I said feared. But today, junior Nick Sandman, at the center of the controversy, is speaking out. He and his classmates, who face possible expulsion from Covington Catholic, insist this longer video shows what really happened. This is a bunch of future The teens say they faced a barrage of verbal abuse from a group calling themselves the Black Hebrew Israelites. 
Sandman claims they got permission from chaperones to respond with spirit chants to counter the hateful things that were being shouted. Phillips approached, trying, he says, to decrease tension between the two groups. I intervened, and things just escalated from there. Sandman claims he singled me out for a confrontation, adding, I did smile at one point because I wanted him to know that I was not going to become angry, intimidated, or be provoked. A Kentucky congressman now backing the students, tweeting, In the face of racist and homosexual slurs, the young boys refuse to reciprocate or disrespect anyone. But Native American advocates say the video speaks for itself. He got caught doing something that was incredibly racist and disrespectful. And now he's back backpedaling. The school and local diocese have apologized to Phillips, a Vietnam veteran, as the search for more video and answers continues. Ron Allen, NBC News. A secret ballistic missile base has been uncovered in North Korea, according to a new report by a U.S. defense think tank. The Center for Strategic and International Studies used satellite images to pinpoint barracks, bunkers, and missile installations that could have first-strike capability. They say it is just one of 20 undeclared bases. This comes just days after President Trump announced plans for a second nuclear summit with the rogue nation. That meeting is scheduled to happen next month. The woman who suffered a broken wrist in the car crash involving Prince Philip says he is arrogant and insensitive. Emma Fairweather says the 97-year-old royal still hasn't reached out to her and should face prosecution if police find him at fault. Kira Simmons explains why she's speaking out now. Um, stationary vehicle to the left of us made the decision to pull into our path. Emma uh, Fairweather, who was one of the women in the car that Prince Philip collided with. You remember there were two women and even a nine-month-old baby in that car. She is describing the fact that she has not heard uh, from the Duke of Edinburgh as highly insensitive. There needs to be a decision as to whether Prince Philip and I are from the same walk of life here or not. She's calling for a period of reflection to see what could be done uh, differently. Already, Prince Philip is showing that he intends to do nothing differently. He was photographed over the weekend driving again, not on private roads, but out in public. He wasn't even wearing a seatbelt. Police will interview Emma tomorrow to get her account of what happened and an image issue. Take a look at the front page of one of the the British newspapers today. Uh, The Queen, sorry, no word from Philip. The danger, of course, is that here Prince Philip begins to look arrogant, and that's always a bad look for the royal family. Back to you. In health matters tonight, the North Shore's Lionsgate Hospital is celebrating a huge success after reaching its $100 million fundraising goal. As Linda Aylesworth reports, the funds are going to be used to give the aging facility a much-needed makeover. This is actually a 3D cardboard mock-up of what we hope that our new private rooms will look like. In a basement on the grounds of Lionsgate Hospital in North Vancouver, the dream of a new surgical and medical centre is finally coming to fruition. We want to make sure that we have our physicians, our clinicians, our support staff come through and give us feedback of how we got the design right. After 20 years of planning, this is what the new building will look like. Located next to the current acute care wing on an empty lot that since 1929 had been occupied by this building. 
So this is the first North Vancouver General Hospital. And at the time that it was built in 1929, it was absolutely state-of-the-art. As was the very first North Vancouver Hospital built in 1908, and the one after that in 1912. But times change. We're looking to build eight state-of-the-art ORs. So in addition to 108 single patient rooms, there'll be a whole new surgical platform. Among the problems with the current ORs is that they're small because when they were built, technology was minimal and didn't require much space. And then there are the outdated patient rooms. So four patients to a room, no washroom in that room. They do have to travel across the hall. The new rooms, all private, which will not be made out of cardboard, will have their own washrooms, a place for families to overnight, and privacy. Studies show all these things are important. It can help improve the patient experience, but also their healing times, reduce length of stay, and certainly from an infection control standpoint, make a difference. The cost, $200 million, half paid by the province. The other half already raised by private donations from North Shore residents. Completion date, 2022. It is one of the most exciting things that I have ever been part of. Thank you to everybody and thank you for getting us here. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Who doesn't love penguins on parade? Why they were all out for a walk today, coming up immediately after the weather forecast with Christy. They just make me smile. They do. They do. And did Christy ever nail the forecast for the crystal clear viewing of that rare super blood wolf moon? Yeah, that was last night. Of course, the H.R. McMillan Space Center in Vancouver opened its doors for sky watchers to take in the unique site. People across B.C. and North America sharing pictures of the celestial event. A super blood wolf moon is a lunar eclipse, a supermoon, and a blood moon. It won't happen again for 18 years. Onlookers in Vancouver gave it some glowing reviews. So we got the day wrong while I was on vacation. We thought Uh-oh. it was Friday. And so we're outside, like, looks well, it just normal. looks like a normal moon to me. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank goodness this time, because it's going to be 18 years before we see another right. one. There's billions of pictures of it, Christy. So many pictures, yeah. Thank you to everyone who shared them. Some of them just dots, I you know, have to admit, but some brilliant shots as well. And I thought I would share this one from Ray. This was in Oak Bay where they were a lot of people out on the water enjoying the supermoon before it turned into the lunar eclipse, of course. Uh, yes, those are bubbles out there. Apparently people were out blowing bubbles, out kayaking and canoeing, so uh, they were having a great time. All right, now today was Blue Monday, but it didn't seem blue to you you. In my opinion, not so much, especially when you see a day like that. Thanks to Shelly for that. Manny Park there as she was snowshoeing. A not-so-blue Monday, also in 100 Mile House today. Spectacular shot. And even where there was a little bit more cloud, I would say that's not so blue. Thank you to Joyce for that when she said she was driving along Kamloops Lake and just had to take the shot this morning. All right, that's all about to change, everyone. Rain for the coast on and off for the next 24 hours. It will push in overnight while we're asleep. Continue through our Tuesday. Meanwhile, further inland, light snow expected for your day tomorrow, but then it will intensify that snowfall tomorrow night right through your Wednesday morning. So here's how much snow we could see across the region. I think areas like Princeton may get hit hardest. Coastal regions certainly uh, through the Whistler area, maybe 19 centimeters, and that's even for lower elevations, by the way. As we head into the further inland, we're talking about 5 to 15 centimeters potentially, especially in through the West Kootenai region.
region. That's one other area that could get hit a little bit harder. Meanwhile, across the north, we will see a couple of centimeters of snow in Fort Nelson, down through Smithers and into Prince George as well. Again, it will continue through the day tomorrow lightly, but then intensify tomorrow night. And we'll see that across the south coast as well, although some areas will see some breaks of blue sky. As I talked about earlier, though, we do have a mild dry pattern that's on the way. So we really just have to get through the next 24 hours. And then we're headed towards a warming trend and a drying trend. Not a lot of sunshine just yet, uh, but we'll be able to refine that as we head throughout. But generally dry is the key. And I'll leave you with one last shot from Sonica Aurora, a beautiful shot of that blood moon. Super blood Wolf, full moon. There you go. Moon, all of it rolled into one. Sonica Aurora. Now it's that great, is a cool name. It's like a celestial kind it of It is, right? Well, at least one group is enjoying the frigid weather gripping much of the continent right now. Perfect conditions for the king penguins at the Cincinnati Zoo. The birds let out of their enclosure to take a stroll through the grounds. Anytime it gets cold enough, I guess below 10 degrees Celsius is enough for these guys, according to the zoo. The gate opens up, the penguins given the chance to get some exercise, much to the delight of the visitors there. Football and football on the menu today in sports. And I'll squeeze in hockey, and I might even get to golf. And perhaps I have another animal video as well. Nice. Uh, The Whitecaps look like they're going to go into this coming season without a big-name striker. Now, that doesn't mean... They might not be able to get someone before the season actually starts in March, but at the moment, that guy is not here. At the moment, it looks like scoring by committee, and that committee is a bunch of players that weren't here last season. They're going to need Hello, My Name Is stickers at training camp. And, you know, fresh start in terms of uh, everything's new, you know, the squad, the coaching staff, and, you know, we, the goal is still the same. Make the playoffs, make the the city proud, make the club proud. So that's uh, what we're going to do this year. But will that be attainable with so many new faces? This past offseason, the Whitecaps parted ways with 18 players. And we're talking major turnover here involving key members of the club. Alfonso Davies, Kai Kamara, Kendall Waston, core players for the Whitecaps and all no longer in a Caps kit. I, I was going through with some of the guys, and this is my third year, and I think I'm like the fourth longest serving guy in the team, which is, <laughs> I was like, wow, maybe I should just, you know, be a captain or something. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Based on the, the moves I've seen thus far is that we're going to be a young squad, um, and we're going to be a squad that's going to fight, we're going to be aggressive, and we're not going to wait for the game to come to us, we're going to bring the game to teams. Kai Kamara from 12 yards away against Chris Seitz, and he buries it past the Houston goalkeeper. When you lose your top three scorers, where and who the offense will come from is a legitimate concern. The Whitecaps scored 54 goals a season ago, 30 coming off the boots of guys no longer here. That's a huge void to fill. And the plan as of now under new coach Mark DeSantos is all for one and one for all. I look at more how we get goals collectively and not only trying, because if not, you go crazy. I'll give you an example. We sell Davis, and now we go get a guy that we think is going to do what Afonso does or did, and he doesn't do that. So now we have a big problem, right? So The Caps of 2019 are shaping up to be a young squad, a roster that once again is void of any big money signings. However, more help appears to be on the way. Um, I've said it a lot of time. We want this team to be very dynamic, uh, very fast. 
aggressive, higher on the field, um, have the, the courage to, especially when we're playing at home, to try to dictate the game. Uh, for that, you need a lot of energy. You need players that are energetic, are courageous, and I think a lot of the guys that we're bringing in have that profile. He doesn't get mentioned a lot, but he is one of the better head coaches in the NHL, Peter Laviolette. Coaching Nashville, they're up one nothing. Watch this goal by Victor Arvidsson. Around the net, scores on Colorado with their rather tragic-looking uniforms. That made it 2 nothing. You saw the white cap just a second ago. Here's the son of the owner, Alex Kerfoot, scoring a goal for Colorado. That made it 2-1. And then some nice passing here by the Preds. Yossi gets it back. 4-1 final. Afternoon hockey in Denver. Uh, we should mention Minnesota beat Vegas 4-2. That means the Canucks have fallen out of a wild card spot. Dallas, Colorado hold the two wild card spots in the West right now. The Canucks so have the same number of points as those two teams, but Vancouver's play one more game. That's why they're not in a wild card position at the moment. The Canucks will host Carolina on Wednesday. Well, for the second year in a row, the New Orleans Saints got knocked out of the playoffs because someone missed something. Last year, the Saints missed an easy tackle, and the Vikings beat them on the final play of the game. This year, the refs missed a call, and the Rams were able to rally and beat the Saints in overtime. Although I have to say, why were the Saints throwing the ball late in the game when running it would have forced the Rams to use all their timeouts, making a comeback a lot tougher for Los Angeles? Whatever the case, it could have either been pass interference or a helmet-to-helmet hit. Either is a penalty. The coach was mad. The fans were mad. Even a slightly creepy clown wasn't happy. I'll show you what I mean. It's incomplete. No flag for Tommy Lee Lewis. Mikel Roby Coleman delivered a hit. And the two officials talked to each other. Crowd's going crazy as there's no flag right on the Saints' sideline. They blew the call. And uh, that call puts it first and ten. We're on an E3 plays, and it's a game-changing call. In the wide open field, passing the field. Oh, Lord, the and they ref, did not throw a flag. They the took ref, it from us. They robbed us the of ref. it. Lost it right there at the very top row. We could see it from there. It was unreal. It's going to go down as the worst non-call in history. Can't be any more obvious than that. Well, when you've upset Pennywise, you're in real trouble. Uh, the 604 and 250 were all over the PGA leaderboard yesterday at the Desert Classic. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin second, Merritt's Rogers Sloan 12th, Surrey's Adam Svensson 18, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor 40th. In the days of the first wave of BC boys, Barr, Zokel, Nelford, and Ray Stewart, I don't think there were ever three in the top 20 and four in the top 40. Might be wrong, but I don't think that ever happened before. There you go. Nice to see the guys do well. You've probably never been wrong. What's that? I don't think you've ever been wrong. So. Oh, no, I've been wrong many times. Okay. In fact, I've been wrong more than I've been right. <laughs> You're wrong. Thanks, Squire. Here's your snow report for this blue Monday. Not a lot of new snow across the region, but we certainly did enjoy blue sky. Whistler, Blackcomb, Grouse, Cypress, and Sasquatch, no new snow, but Sasquatch has a nice base at 195. Revelstoke, Fernie, Manning Park, and Whitewater, all no new snow, but another good base in Whitewater at 199. Big White, no new snow. Silver Star did manage to pick up one centimeter. Sun Peaks, no new snow either, but a good base at 150. Kicking Horse, Mount Washington, no new snow, but Powder King was the winner with six centimeters. 
A long-haul trucker is happy to have his dog back after he lost the pet when it panicked along the Coquihalla Highway. The dog disappeared, but after surviving three freezing nights close to the side of the road, some good Samaritans spotted it and made sure the story didn't end there. Kristen Robinson has the happy ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tony Bogala and Arker inseparable again. Days after the Calgary trucker thought he'd lost his best friend. Sad because I don't even know he's dying or he's alive. Bogala was playing with his 10-month-old pup at the Zopkios brake check on Tuesday, January 15th, when another trucker accidentally hit Arker. Spooked, the dog ran off. I've tried to find more than two hours. It's very dark. I cannot see it. After more than three cold Coquihalla nights, VSA highway maintenance crews spotted a dog sitting on a snowbank between Hope and Merritt. They scaled a nearly two-meter wall of winter for the rescue. She got real close and then uh, she, she grabbed him or whatever and, uh, and I guess the tail started going and he just almost licked her to death. Ron Hagen drove the mystery dog back to the shop. Carly Holman took him home and appealed to his owner via Facebook. Today when I see in uh, Global TV and uh, Facebook, I see in post in a lost info found dog. When he first initially got a hold of us, it was through Facebook Messenger and we actually video chatted. And I showed the phone to Archer and they were talking to each other through the, well not talking, obviously the dog wasn't, but they, yeah, that's how they reunited, it was over the phone. <laughs> the first time when I see him, I'm crying. On Sunday, Bogala returned to BC for an emotional reunion. Arker, now ready to ride back to Alberta, where his owner says he'll honor the second chance rescuers gave him. I'm going to change his name to Ch Ch Chance. This is amazing. He's alive. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Look at Arker. Seems pretty How chill survived. now. Yeah, no amazing. kidding. Mm -hmm. Would have been cold up there on the Coke. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking um, of cold. Yeah. Yeah, uh, tomorrow is going to be another cool one. Five degrees as our high. We could see some snow over higher terrain, otherwise just rain. And then it's dry after that. All right. Good to have you back, Soph. Oh, it's so nice to be back. All I right. Love it. <laughs>